Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. In today's podcast, we are going to take some time to review and discuss a current event, and that current event is the recent news of Staples' acquisition of Office Depot for $6.3 billion. This hit the industry last week and has had many people all abuzz and excited about the potential this will have on the industry. What we've chosen to do today is pull together a few very experienced people within the industry to weigh in on the pros and cons about this particular acquisition within the industry. And they include, in no particular order, Larry Cohen, who is the president and founder of Axis Promotions in New York, Bill Petrie, who is the president of Brandivate in Nashville, Tennessee, We have Jessica Holtwelker, who is sales representative at Sunrise Identity, and myself, Mark Graham, co-founder of CommonSkew and president of Right Sleeve. So without further ado, why don't we get into this and start talking about the impact that this pretty big announcement will have on the promotional products industry. For those that are not familiar with the size and influence of Staples, Staples has been at the top of the counselor top 40 for at least the past five years. In 2013, their revenues were a staggering $434 million, and as a result, they have a massive influence over what happens in this particular industry. I'm going to start with you, Bill. Given your background at Guy Brown in the office supply space a couple of years ago, what do you think about this? Is this a a good thing for the industry or a bad thing? I don't know if it's either, Mark, and and thanks for having me on. hard to believe that just over a year ago, the top three office products companies were Office Max, Office Depot, and Staples. And then a year ago, Office Depot bought Office Max, and now Staples is buying Office Depot, really consolidating three of the big players in North America into one gigantic monolith of of office products. Mm. Neither Office Max nor Office Depot were particularly strong in promotional products. Office Depot has dabbled in it a little more successfully than Office Max ever had. Yep. But because of the size of Staples, as you mentioned, the number one promotional products distributor industry for several years running, the amount of revenue and client base that this acquisition adds to Staples is negligible. Right. I don't see it as an earthquake-sized event in the industry, although it does give them a larger platform to move social products to a different audience within their local store footprint. And if we think about a recent announcement that also got the industry talking when we think about the Zazzle purchase of Boundless, do you think that this is an announcement that is on par with that? Larry, what do you think about that? Do you think that this is something that is going to turn as many heads as the Zazzle Boundless announcement, or is it the same deal? Probably not as many heads as that one because I think, you know, the Boundless, which was a much more of a pure distributor model combining up with what was really a supplier to the industry and kind of with the print-on-demand, I think that creates a more unique challenge for us. I think this model, you have two very large retailers changing, you know, along with kind of the way the world is changing where they're losing significant market share to businesses that are now and individuals that are purchasing their office products online and 
whether it's through Amazon or through you know other ways. And one of the interesting things about the merger is is that it does show that the pressures that these companies are under to either consolidate and cut costs or look for other areas of revenue. And you know, at one point years ago, people were talking about maybe promotional products as just being you know kind of an offshoot of what they were doing. And it could turn out that promotional products are something they want to focus on more because given the margins in the promotional products industry, you know, even though there's some pressure there, they are gigantic compared to some of the margins that are in the office products area. So it may be an area where they continue to put more time and focus now as they start closing stores. I do think one thing that could be a downside for them, you know, in terms of the promotional product side is that you know, these types of mergers can take years and you have to go through some regulatory stuff and then closing stores and then, you know, it may cause them to take their eye off the promotional product ball. So I don't know how they balance all those two things out, but I do think that there is challenges for them on both sides. It's interesting. I was taking a look at the numbers, looking at the ASI counselor top 40 numbers, and if you look at staples in 2009, they were at $361 million, and they've grown quite consistently to $434 million in 2013. The 2014 numbers have not yet been announced, but my suspicion is that it may be around $450, $460 million if it follows that same trajectory. And Larry, to your point, if you compare that to Staples Corporate, and just taking a look at their annual filings, from 2011 to 2014, they've gone from $24 billion down to $23 billion and have stagnated between those years. So what I think is kind of neat about looking at those numbers is that I think a lot of us in this industry get a little bit down about margin pressure and about the, the stagnating growth and the intense competition that we face within this industry. But it's kind of nice to look outside into other industries from time to time and go, wow, we might not have it as bad <laughs> as, as other people in other industries. So I must admit doing some research for this podcast, it made me kind of feel good about the space that we're in. <laughs> Which is great. Jess, I'm going to ask you a question. Given your sales perspective at Sunrise, do you ever come up against staples when you're pitching larger program business at Sunrise? And what are they like to compete with? And are you nervous about what an expanded staples will look like for you as a competitor? I personally have not come up against them yet, nor at my previous company that I was with for 10 years. But, you know, I know that they're kind of like a big shark in the water that, you know, you just have to keep track of and, and know their movement. And sometimes it's best to understand your competitors, you know, and, and how they work and, and the goliaths that they are. And understanding the differentiators. You know, I am impressed. I think that the level of expertise that Staples is at and the caliber of people that they have working for them really thrust the rest of our companies to rise to that occasion and raise ourselves to that bar as well. So it's interesting as we see other companies, other distributors in our industry getting involved in compliance and safety awareness and social compliance and on all these different ways to really differentiate ourselves from our competitors. And I think that adaptability is the name of the game, you know, and, and being able to be creative. I think that the companies that really stand out in our industry are the ones that become more creative and they understand who they're up against and then find ways to kind of navigate around that. I think Larry mentioned about just the moving process and the changes. Big companies can move slowly, you know, whereas can be quite nimble and can really jump 
through hoops and do some things that are different. So I think it's just understanding who we're up against and then how can we make ourselves still relevant and different. And I do think, too, that there are a lot of people, even consumers, that are starting to go into niche markets. You know, they're going into the Etsy's and, and they like working with mom and pops and nonprofits or, you know, whatever it is that really feels close to them. So that's a differentiator, too. Yeah. And Larry and Bill, either of you or both of you can answer this question. Given your distributor experience, have you gone up against Staples in the past? And how would you answer that question? Like, what are they like as a competitor? And what do you think they will be like as a competitor if this Office Depot acquisition is approved? Does it impact you? Are you concerned about it? Or what do you think? I'll jump in first. This is Bill. Back in my distributor days, yes, ran into Staples quite often. And they do some things very, very well from a corporate program perspective. I think to Jess's first comment just a few moments ago, they are strong in the corporate market. They are not known as creative. They right. are not known for their customer service. And so while we would run into them, and certainly they would have some pricing advantages I may not have just due to their economy of scale that, they, that afforded them. I didn't view them as a threat because I felt like I could bring different values to the table that they couldn't bring. Not to say I was always successful, but I was successful more than I wasn't. But I'd be very interested in what Larry's perspective is. I think mine's similar to yours. I mean, I, I do here and again from both the supplier side and the distributor side that they are becoming ever more aggressive in our field that we're in. But I do agree that the business that they are going after tends to be a much larger scale business, you know, large programmatic based businesses that we all may not necessarily either have the expertise in or have the desire to go in and compete in those areas. And they're building a certain level of you know support for that, which tends to be a, a bit more programmatic. They definitely have some people that are creative out there. I actually, you know, ironically, have been the recipient of some of their direct mail, you know, trying to get me to buy promotional products. And if I were a person just looking for some basic things, it's you know, it's kind of an appealing, you know, it's a it's a brand that you can be comfortable with. So I think it's like other people that have come into you know our industry from the retail side. They do have brand recognition, and they there is a comfort level that if you're going to buy online or do one of these corporate stores, I think why not buy it from the person who's on your street corner or the people you buy all your office supplies from. Right. But from a pure creative play, I don't think that that's what they're really known for, and I'm not sure that's who they really want to be known for. It takes a different type of salesperson to be able to sell at that level, and that may not be where they want to be, which leaves room for a lot of us to compete, which is great. I'll just throw this out to any of you. Who do you think Staples is the most scared of? Staples promotional products, who do you think they're most scared of, inside or outside the industry? Uh, interesting question. I think any of the larger program-based distributors, I think Halo would definitely be one of those ones that, you know, I think, you know, probably presents some challenges to them just through brand recognition and stuff like that. But I also think that they're probably going to feel the same pressures that we're going to feel from some of the, you know, the growing online presence that you know, people are able to provide. I think, you know, there's the program side of the business and there's a, a scale at which large multinationals are going to be, you know, they are going to be able to service them possibly better because 
they're all over the world and they have a brand that's all over the world and they can offer some services that we may not be able to provide. But I think yeah. there's the other side of the business that I'm sure they're building, which is the online, the simple ordering, small business side of the world, which is definitely growing faster. I mean, it's, if you look at growth overall in the United States, it's a lot of small businesses. So yeah. it has to be a target for them. So I think any of the online businesses that can make ordering the basics easy yeah. is, is definitely one of those competitors for them. I agree with Larry 100%. That's the question I had to think for a minute. And I think Halo is one. I think Standard Register actually might be one. Just from a name recognition perspective is there, ramping up their promotional products distributor business. You know, office products has been a declining market for a long, long time. And having kind of had a foot in that world for three of the last four years, they're all looking for something to kind of replace that cash cow. Margins are declining at a rapid pace. And, and so many of them have identified promotional products. And, and so I, I see, you know, Halo being in, in part of that competition inside and, and maybe even standard register. I just thought of that question off the top of my head. I know we hadn't prepared for it. So it's interesting. You look at four imprints specifically, and you look at how they have grown in the last several years. I don't have the statistics on it, but I believe their growth has even been more rapid than it has been for Staples. When you think about what 4imprint is so good at, they're amazing at that transaction, day-to-day, relatively small, simple orders. They are a price leader. And when you want to buy basic transaction-based promotional products, 4imprint is, is the place you go. As a small business, That they have created an amazing brand recognition. And I would think if I was Staples, and of course I'm just you know, thinking out loud here, that I would be most worried about them. Because Staples, as you say, Larry and Bill, is also really focused on that transaction-oriented, small business type customer. I know they've got the big Fortune 500 customers as well. We'll park that, of course. But if you think about that small business segment, are they losing that business to for imprint where those small businesses can go in, they can transact on for imprint whose website is so much better known and may even be easier than staples.com? What do you think? This is Larry. I'll jump in. I think that is probably one of the, I wish I had thought of it, you know, one of those moments. Me too. I, I, think, I think what <laughs> they do, uh, I think what 4imprint does on so many levels from a, you know, the way they communicate, their sample policy, the way items are packaged when you receive them, they do a great job. They have a strong charitable component of things that they do, the culture they've built. I think, you know, they probably are, you know, to me, in my mind, at least, by far the the strongest online competitor there is, and I think that strength can filter out into kind of a better customer experience even from some brick-and-mortar companies that are out there. So I think they pose a challenge, you know, kind of across the board, and, you know, they're, they're constantly looking to improve what they're doing. So I think that would be right up there. Yeah, and I agree with Larry. I wish I thought of it. You know, I think the, the biggest challenge Staples is facing as they continue to grow is really their identity. If you go to the website, it treats promotional products like buying, pardon the pun, but buying staples or buying just non-branded thick click-stick pens. It, it treats it like office products, which right. you know, buyers today are far more savvy, and that's not an interface that they're going to want to use. They right. much prefer to use a poor imprint. So are they going to concentrate on that space and try to compete with a foreign print, or are they going to continue to look at that Fortune 500 space and that large, lower margin traditionally, 
but that lot of large company programs that I, I think we all agree they do and do very well. Right. You know, it'll be very interesting to see over you know, once the acquisition is completed, once all the regulatory things are done and completed, where are they going to try to play? Right. Because one thing Staples did very, very well is they've kept that promotional division very separate from the office products division. So even though online they're selling promotional products like office products, offline they're not. Offline right. they are selling it the way people want to buy it. So it'll be very interesting to see how that evolves over the next year, 18 months. Right. It's interesting. I'm, I'm actually on Staples' website right now, and I'm trying to buy a product, and I'm getting an error message on their website. And I'm not suggesting this in a way to make Staples look bad by any stretch, but when I made that comment about 4imprint of being such a slick e-commerce experience because they've got so many people that are focused on it that they may not have the same resources at Staples for that purpose. Jess, I want to ask you a question. And Bill, you made an interesting point about this identity, potential identity challenge that Staples is facing right now. And you made the comment about the next generation and younger customers and them being so much more savvy than customers from other generations just simply because we didn't have the access to the internet and so much information. So Jess, you're squarely in the millennial demographic and I know you're not a target customer for Staples because of course you're in the promotional products business, but when you look at Staples business model today and in the next five years, are they a company, do you think, that is making themselves appealing to the millennial customer? Why or why not? Well, I think the fact that the website wasn't functioning at the moment is a red flag for millennial buyers. You know, I think that as we take in more data from so many different data points, our resources with time is very, very short. So any time that we're being delayed in any way immediately causes frustration. I actually go on to Amazon and use them all the time to shop for things and select prime shipping and new everything like that. And I don't want to have to think about it. I look at the reviews, I make a decision and, and I go from there. You know, but when something goes wrong, I want to be able to pick up the phone and call and talk to somebody. I want to hear their voice. I want to hear a person saying, I'm so sorry, or you know, providing excellent customer service. And then I get very frustrated when it isn't up to par. And right. I make other buying decisions. I figure out, oh, I'm not going to use them again. You know, and I, I've gone through that even just in the last couple of weeks with changing phone providers. So, you know, I think that millennials, we, we want everything we want it now. And if something isn't right, we want someone on the phone to say that they're sorry and they're going to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I think that in terms of staples, they're going to have to be anticipatory and extremely well at reacting when things go wrong and really making sure they take very good care of their customers because, you know, we just discussed this in the meeting yesterday. Trust is everything, you know, yeah. and transparency is so important. And, you know, for millennials to to experience what it's like to have these big companies be exposed and finding these skeletons and you know, all that, and that really changes our buying choices. Yeah. You know, so if you're not being transparent and we're going to find out that you've been padding reviews or whatever it is, we're not into that. And millennials are very much peer-driven. So we listen to what our friends do or who they go to or what their experience has been, and, and we really weigh that in in our own choices and decisions. So I think that staples are just going to have to be really transparent. They're going to have to be upfront. They're going to have to be willing to service to a T in every way that we want to be communicated with, but certainly not also like going out and trying to buy our business of being available for mm -hmm. when we do. Your comment brings me back to just before Christmas, 
I was looking for a t-shirt for a, a present for one of my uncles and uh, it was just a, a one unit shirt with a custom print on it and I went to Zazzle and I'd never bought anything off Zazzle and I went on to the site and not to try to do customer research but I literally went on as someone who needed to go and buy a shirt that I know I didn't want to make myself. I went on and the experience absolutely blew me away. It was amazing. And some of me, I was thinking, man, you know, I wish I'd thought of this or, you know, good on these guys or, you know, these guys are a competitor. I can't believe I'm buying a shirt from them. I didn't think anything of that. I thought, you know, here is an absolutely flawless, incredible experience. My uncle got the shirt a couple of days later, loved it. I paid 25 bucks for it and it was amazing. So I make that comment in light of what you just said about Amazon. Maybe that's a good segue to get into the Amazon piece. You know, my first reaction when I was reading this, I, I was reading the numbers and I thought, okay, $6.3 billion, this purchase seems massive and Staples is a $24 billion company and they've got $434 million worth of sales on the promotional side. Like the numbers are so staggeringly large. And then I think of Amazon and I wonder, you know, if there is a day that Amazon supply or Amazon B2B comes into the market, do you think any of this matters? in terms of what Staples is doing with Office Depot if Amazon comes in? Will Amazon basically just crush them <laughs> into smithereens? I think Amazon's definitely watching what's happening. And I do think if Amazon did enter that marketplace, just like Staples has that built-in credibility because of their brand, yep. their brand is trusted Office products. And now, you know, on, on some levels, promotional products. If Amazon decides to really invest and get into the game, I think that would be a very, not concerning, but it would certainly be very interesting. I think because of their name recognition, Amazon Prime, they're, they're known for their service. Right. And really, that's what people are looking for. You know, Jess mentioned it earlier. She really doesn't want, want to paraphrase, but basically Jessica it would prefer not to have to deal with anybody but to get everything quickly. But if something goes wrong, she absolutely expects someone to be on the phone or to take care of that issue in a very expeditious manner. And I think Amazon has done a tremendous job at that. So if they can figure out how to translate their current model into promotional products and do it well, I think that would be a huge competitor for a lot of people. Hmm. I think the challenge for any of these companies coming in, and again, you know, going back to Four Imprints, kind of have figured it out, is, you know, one of the challenges that we all live with, you know, as distributors every day, is the that we don't make anything. Somebody else is always making it, and the need for all the checks and balances that go into ordering, proofing, getting the logo right, the PMS colors, and all of those things. And I think, you know, there are oftentimes some of the people that we're working with as buyers may not always recognize how complicated getting a logo on a pen, you know, might be when they just think it's kind of like doing printed paper or you know, we get those calls like they think we're just going to pull it off the shelf and it's going to be ready to go. So, right. you know, I think that does pose the challenges to people entering into our area. At least, at least I've convinced myself of that for the short term. You know, what's interesting to me is that, you know, a couple years ago, Alibaba was the conversation, and, you know, now it's Zazzle, and, and now also Staples, and, you know, and, and who knows, two years from now, might very well be Amazon. I think Amazon's kind of a looming thing in there, but, you know, we adapt. We, we find more creative ways and ways to differentiate ourselves, and I think it's great that it's disrupting the industry, and it's helping out, you know, weed out the companies that yeah. really aren't 
applicable in the marketplace anymore. They're just not competitive. And that's great. You know, bring it on. It only makes our industry that much better. And to have these big companies wanting to be in our industry, you know, the fact that Staples on an office supplies side does more than our entire industry does in sales total, and they want to come into it, you know, that's showing, like, we're relevant, and we have something that's really important, and, and why not? Let's see where it can go and, and really bust out of all these kind of models that we've built up to this point. So that's just how I feel about it. I think it's a really great point, Jess. I think that a lot of people, and I only just say this more anecdotally in terms of like some chatter that I had heard on some of the social networks about, oh, this is going to be bad and Staples is so big and scary and, you know, more competition means reduced margins and more, more pressure for us to run profitable businesses. And, you know, you can understand that on many levels. This is not good news for some types of distributors in this industry. But if you look on the other frame of mind, you've got people that are excited about this industry. They're investing in this industry. They're bringing outside innovation. They're bringing outside money. I think you could look at it and say, as opposed to looking at this through the lens of more competition, it's more innovation. It's widening the pot, so to speak. I think it's really quite fascinating when you've got these grade A, first class Silicon Valley investors that are jumping into the promotional products industry through companies like Spreadshirt or through Zazzle. And you know you could even argue with Boundless. They had some pretty amazing venture capitalists that were behind them. And I think that's relatively new in the last certainly five years. I don't think you would have ever seen that back in the old days. So... I think it's interesting. I think that anything that shines a spotlight on the industry will bring innovation. It'll bring more disruption. It will hopefully get rid of some of the laggards within the industry that are maybe dragging us down. So I think for the most part, Jess, I totally adopt what you're saying, and I think it's pretty exciting. Yay, millennials. Nice work. <laughs> Yay, millennials. <laughs> Older guys like me, you know, the dinosaurs. History museums are great. We love dinosaurs. Yeah, no, I think it's... Nice. Thanks, Jess. This is important. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's yeah. just, you know, we got to just come together and collaborate and, and be innovative and, and support each other. And, you know, I think that's, you know, the driving force, you know. Right. Yeah, I think Jess hit the nail on the head. I like it. I mean, I think it helps. It may help elevate us as an industry. We seem to be, as, as an industry, kind of embarrassed of what we do. And so the more professional people involved, let's to your point, Mark, of venture capital, money, and things like that, the better off we all are because it elevates us as an industry and makes us a true relevant marketing tool as opposed to just a bunch of people who can put logos on stuff. Right. We're a lot more than that. Again, going back to what you guys are saying, I mean, I think we have been, you know, not sleepy, but I think, you know, the changes that we're starting to see with the way technology is changing, the way communication is changing, like, you know, a cold call is not, I mean, who makes cold calls on the phones, you know, anymore and expects actually someone to pick up their phone. So, you know, everything we're doing is changing the way we're communicating with people, the way we're presenting ourselves. And one of the other things I think is great for our industry is just the more that we communicate in ways that are through social media and other things, the more relevant tangible products come, you know, in terms of helping clients build their brands. And I think that the forward-thinking people in our industry will be the survivors of all the consolidation that's going on in the industry or the changes that are going on. And I think there's definitely room for lots of different models. Yeah. And I don't think the internet is going to be one of those things that can completely disintermediate people that are still doing creative and, you know, consultative sales. Right. And, you know, the, this merger that we're seeing is, you know, when you're just selling a product, whether it's paper or any other office supplies, 
you know, those are things that are actually easy to be purchased on the web. Yep. And that's where Amazon has really stepped in, and Staples clearly is seeing the need to move more that direction and less from the uh, kind of brick and mortar right. stuff. You know, and another point that I just thought of is that having Staples and Office Depot and, and those bigger name brands that are so aware by every consumer in the United States, I think even having them on our side helps in terms of, you know, the, the issues with government spending on promotional products and, you know, legislation that's being passed about taxes and independent contractors. And, you know, it's like having that kind of backing in a way that, you know, they're on our side too. I think that's going to help us in the long run as well about keeping us relevant and growing overall in the country. So I think it's a good thing. You know, I just thought of this. I'm interested in any of your opinions on this. Like, who who would you rather be competing with? Would you rather be competing with Staples in the industry, the size that they're at, or would you rather be competing with the person in the industry that is deemed to be rather unprofessional, they don't have any overhead, they do it part-time, they sell from catalogs, you know, kind of that stereotype that we have in the industry of, of someone who is not as professionally up to par as they could be. <laughs> I'm being diplomatic, of course, when I ask that question. But who, who would you rather be competing with? The staples or the other person that I described? <laughs> That's a loaded question because I, I, for me, it would depend on who the, who we were selling to. Because honestly, neither one would scare me. Right. I think that there's enough uniqueness that I would bring to the table that I can differentiate myself from either the staples person who has a lot of technology, has a lot of financial resources behind them, or the, the person who does it part-time uh, and not as professionals maybe we would all hope the industry to be. So honestly, my answer would be neither one scares me. Right. I, I think I would agree with that. I think it really depends on who you're competing against. I think if you're in a space where you are competing on programmatic business, I think Staples is, is always going to be a significant competitor there. If you're competing for business that might be of offices in multiple countries, that can always pose a challenge. And maybe that's where that you don't want to compete with them. But I think we can all compete with any of those models that you laid out because I think we bring more than just those things. You know, do we like competing on those levels? And can we get beyond the on the low cost model? I think that if you're competing on price and that's the business model that you're in, everyone's going to be the loser kind of in that one. So I think we can compete on both of those. I think for me, Mark, it's really just about elevating the conversation right. and, and looking at the way the Internet itself and in so many ways has transformed and, and adapted over the years. And it's forced everyone to up their game. And I think that's just kind of the level that we're at now in our industry. Everyone's just upping their game to stay relevant and to stay on top and take on, again, like, you know, the differentiators within the marketplace. And so whether it is the mom and pop or the person who knows absolutely nothing about the industry or staples or, you know, whoever in between, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's still knowing your competition and upping your game and creating the differentiators and adapting and being willing to change quickly. Right. I think we're a very reactive industry. I think a lot of our, our companies are very reactive. So it's about how quickly can we move, how far can we foresee, and how can we prepare ourselves for what could come. So I, I think it's, it's exciting. It's, really, it's a really exciting time, and it's using a lot of, creativity and things that maybe we haven't really tapped into before, but it's becoming more and more important. So as we wind things down here, amazing time always goes by very quickly, especially with you guys. 
Any concluding thoughts, anything that we, any major themes that we haven't dug into that you want to raise at this point in time? Bill, Larry, Jess? It'll be interesting to watch how, you know, after the, the regulatory requirements are met and the, the uh, acquisition is closed, where Staples goes, who do they want to be, and how are they going to market that? Mm. Very interesting to watch. I think it will be as well, and I don't think that they'll have problems getting it approved. At least that's my gut or at least my reading of things. And I think Jess and Larry, to your points, that I think more competition, especially more professional competition, is, I think, a welcome thing in the industry. And I think that it raises the bar for those of us that are in the industry already. And I think it's a good thing on balance, uh, as opposed to something that I'd be nervous about. Now, if Amazon chooses to enter the market next year and the four of us are around this podcast having a conversation. Well, maybe this is the last question. So let's say in a year's time, we have Amazon. They decide to enter the market. The four of us have reconvened on this podcast. Are we excited and enthusiastic about it or are we scared that we're going to lose our businesses? Again, I think it's knowing your competition and figuring out your differentiator and really sticking to that and, and understanding the trends in the marketplace. Again, I think a lot of people are trying to go more local, you know, more niche, uh, you know, and, and so it's anticipating and understanding the trends of buyers and their buying purchases. So eventually, they might not want to go online. They might want to walk to their local market and, and you know, connect with the buyers there and the owners and, and all of that stuff. You just you don't know the landscape and how it's going to change yet. Right. How about you, Larry? What do you think about an Amazon world? I think, you know, Amazon has proved themselves to be very disruptive, you know, in lots of business areas. I think where the four of us live and spend our day our, our work days at least are much more in a consultative sale aspect of it and we've been able to kind of live with, you know, a lot of the online challenges that have been there, whether it's been a you know, the Zazzle or you know, any of the other online portals that are out there. So I think if Amazon was to come in, I think that's an area that they would probably focus on, to pick the low-hanging fruit first. And, you know, I'd like to think that we don't live where the low-hanging fruit is, but I don't ever want to underestimate what they do. So I do think that given their size and their ability to disrupt, I think they would pose a challenge. But I think many of our industries would, would be up for that challenge, probably not comfortably, but we'd have to all... You know, kind of figure out how we're going to go to market. And right now, I think the go-to-market strategy that seems to be working for a lot of companies is much more of the creative consultative sale. And so I right. think there's room there's room for existence for both. Right. I think the challenge is if I was a for imprint or I was a, you know, anybody else who sold through the online areas, I would be much more nervous about an Amazon coming in than I am for the, you know, the consultative, we're putting a multicolor logo on something and you want us to come up with the ideas for you kind of company. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. As soon as they start delivering promotional products by drones, then we're really going to figure it out. I mean, I, I, you know, for another topic, I think the interesting thing about Staples, and this is not to go back to the Staples conversation, but, you know, I think the 3D printing world yeah. uh, and the world that we're just starting to put our toes into, Staples is starting to do that. I think that is a much different and much more interesting, you know, not much more interesting, but another interesting conversation about how disruptive that could be as these become much more prevalent and design technology becomes easier. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that we uh, we do have a 3D printing podcast scheduled actually in the next couple of days, so that'll be pretty interesting. We could certainly make sure we ask those questions. 
But hey, look at the time. I think we should end it here. We said that we would do something for about 45 minutes and we're at the end. But uh, Larry, Jess, Bill, amazing having you on here and thanks for your thoughts and insights. Uh, I think it'll be really interesting and we'll see what happens with this acquisition. Maybe we can revisit this in a year and see whether some of our predictions have come true. Excellent. Thanks. 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 Right now, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks so much. And on behalf of the Promo Kitchen community, we'll uh, we'll sign off now. Thanks so much.